And it should start recording, okay? Hallelujah. Romans chapter 6. So last week, um, we've been doing a series here, I don't know, for the last last little bit. I mean, uh, talking about some different subjects, different uh, topics, but but really the focus has been on subjects that have changed my life. Subjects that when I when I learned about them, when I when I was taught on them, and I got a revelation of them, that it just changed me. And we talked about things like the believer's authority. We talked about things like not limiting God, uh, how to how to take the limits off God and and allow Him to be as good to us as He wants to be. And that's better than we can even think. That's a good thing. Amen. And we've looked at a bunch of different subjects, but here uh, the last couple weeks. We've started talking about the revelation of understanding that our old man is dead. Our old nature's dead. Our old man's dead. And learning how to put off the old, how, you know, the, in the, in the scripture you'll see terminology, uh, where it talks about put off certain things and put on certain things. And, you know, as salvation, now last week we talked about, last Sunday we talked about you must be born again. You know, there's only one way that we're going to make it into heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. That's putting our faith and our trust in Jesus. Amen? And now a lot of different people will tell you a lot of different things, and they'll, they'll try and say that there's more ways uh, to heaven than, than just Jesus, but they're wrong. Amen? They're wrong. The only way that we're going to make it to heaven is putting our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ and what He did in His death, burial, and resurrection. It's the only way. I mean, the scripture is very plain on that. I mean, I, hopefully last week we saw that when Jesus talked to Nicodemus and he told him, you must be born again. I mean, he didn't say, you know, it'd be a good idea to be born again or it might help you. But what did Jesus say? He said, you must. Right? I mean, he said, you must be born again. There's no other option. If you want to make it to heaven, if you want to spend eternity with God, you must be born again. Amen. We talked about that last week and, and, uh, and that's a huge thing. Now, you know, uh, that message I preached last week, probably, uh, I don't know a number, a large number of, of people that profess to be Christians would say amen to that. You know, most, you know, the ones that profess to be a Christian throughout our country, they, they understand, most of them, or a large number of them, understand that Jesus is the only way. You know, Brother Hagin always told us that, uh, I always heard Brother Hagin say, you know, there's nothing, there's not a new idea under the sun. Everything just goes in cycles. It may, it may be dressed different. It may have different wording. It may, it may look a little bit different. But you know what? If you hear of, if you hear somebody coming up with a new theology, it's been talked about before. And it's been, it's been there before. People have tried it before. People have come up with it before. And it's just a cycle of things, right? And it's no different. People, people have come up and, and often said that, that there's plenty of ways to heaven. And listen, the reason they say that is because they want to live their life the way they want to live it and do what they want to do and still feel in their heart that they can make it to heaven. They want to be accept, they want you to accept their lifestyle, even though it goes against what the Word says, and to include them and to say everything's okay and that, that, you know, that God loves everybody and there's no consequences for going against what the Word says, but at the end of the day, that's just wrong. Amen. Amen. And, and, you know, so, so there's one way. There's one way to heaven. And, and last week, you can go back and listen to that on, online or get a CD of it or listen to the podcast. But, but last week, we talked about you must be born again. And, and the reason I wanted to do that was because if you, get a, if you get an understanding, if you really and truly understand what happened at salvation, what happened when you asked Jesus to be your Savior, when you put your trust in the death, burial, and resurrection, and you believe that Jesus came, He lived, He died, He rose again, He did it for you, He took your place, He became sin so that He could make you righteous, if you really and truly believe that, there was a major thing that happened to you. And we looked at that last week, we saw that, that what, what was that major thing? That major thing was, Second Corinthians 5 tells us, that you became a new creation. Something happened on the inside. Your, your spirit man was reborn. You were, you know, and we, we, we looked at this last week in depth, but you were born in the natural. You were born spiritually dead. 
Okay? And at the rebirth, when Jesus said you must be born again, what he was talking about, he didn't mean that you had to go back into your mother's womb and be reborn. That was what Nicodemus asked. But Jesus said, Jesus said no, you've you got to be born of the water and of the Spirit. And so Jesus said your spirit man must be born again. So when you ask Jesus to be your Savior, your spirit man was, was recreated. It wasn't just an overhaul. It wasn't just a remodeling. The Bible says you became a brand new creation. Something that had never existed. Your spirit man was reborn on the inside. And you became now a, a born again spiritual being. And your spirit was reconnected to God. And now, now you, you had fellowship with the Father again. Just like Adam had in the Garden of Eden. I mean, your spirit man was reconnected. Now, the age old, the age old question and, and the, the situation that, that most people find themselves in is this. And I hear, and matter of fact, I was, I was just looking, I looked it up again this morning. I just wanted to see, to get an idea of some things. If you ask people, um, if you ask people, what, Christians now, if you go in the average church, the majority of churches, I would say, and ask people why they sin, or if they sin, I'll put it that way. You know, do you sin? And, you know, probably everybody in the building would say, oh, yeah, unfortunately I do, I sin. You know, I miss the mark. I do things I know I shouldn't do. And if you ask the question, why, the majority of the time the response will be this. Well, I just have my old sin nature. You know, I'm just an old sinner. You know, and I, you know, God, thank God He saved me and He forgives me, but that's just, you know, man, I'm just, you know, I'm just an old sinner. There ain't nothing I can do about it. You see, I was, I was brought up, and I, I was brought up to believe and taught that, you know, that you were going to sin every day. Wasn't nothing you could do about it. I mean, sin's stronger than you are. And, you know, you just, at the end of the day, you just, you just repent for whatever sins you committed. And, you know, and hope you got them all. And then get up the next day and hope you do better. But really and truly, what that mentality does is this. When I'm confronted, if I have that mentality that I can't help but to sin, if I'm just, if I have, if I have a sin nature about me, now that I'm born again, if I have a sin nature and I can't help but to sin, then when a temptation comes my way, my first response, I'm, I may put up a fight to begin with. I may say, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to, I know I shouldn't do that, I know I shouldn't do that. But then I have this thought. But you have a sin nature. That's who you are. There's nothing you can do about it. Just go ahead and give in to it. You can ask for forgiveness. Anybody ever have that thought? Don't raise your hand, but anybody else ever have that thought? Well, I mean, maybe you're not as bad a person as I am, I guess, right? In that, in that, that way. But when I was, when I was younger, when I thought that I still had a sin nature, I believed that. So therefore, when I was, when I was encounter, when I encountered a temptation, it was so easy for me to give in because now I had an excuse. I've just got a sin nature. That's just who I am. I can't help it. Right? And see, so, so the enemy has, I mean, really, that is a, that is a, uh, Doctrine of devils, really, to be honest with you, because it has it has trapped so many good people and it has just enabled them and given them an excuse to where they can just live any way they want to live and just say, well, that's I'm just the old sin nature. You know, nothing I can do about it. Only one problem with that. That goes against everything that the Bible teaches. Amen. And so, so um, when I got a revelation of this, listen, when I, when I understood, when, uh, you know, it was probably, to be honest with you, when, I went, when we went to Ramah, Brother Hagin started teaching on this, and, and, uh, and I heard Brother Hagin teaching on this, and teaching on the believer's authority, teaching on who we are in Christ, teaching on, on, on uh, you know, what happened to us at salvation, other than, uh, you know, most people, most people will agree with you what happened to salvation is I got my get-out-of-hell-free card. And that's about as far as it went. I'll still endure hell on earth, but one day, I just can't wait till I enter in the, the pearly gates and it'll all be over. 
And, you know, and everybody, and we're proud we got our get out of hell card. But we, we have to live in hell while we're here on the earth. We have no victory. The devil's just so powerful and so big and so bad that we just can't do nothing about our life or how we live. Woe is me. Right? And that's, that's the mentality. Now, now, it may not be that extreme. You understand? I'm pushing the limits there. I'm, I'm, I'm put, making an extreme statement there. But you understand, that's what happens when we have the mentality that we still have a sin nature. So what does the Bible say about it? You know, if we became a new creation, if Jesus did something so radical in our lives that we became, on the inside, we became a brand new creation and God moved into our bodies. You do realize that. God, you are a temple. The Bible says you. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And if you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, then are you telling me that you believe that Satan is stronger than God on the, you know, to where you have no control over, over what you do? In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, we see they were moving the Ark of the Covenant, which carried the presence of God. And they were carrying it, and, and David was moving it, and wanted, he wanted to move it back and bring it back to the, to Israel. And, and he was, they were, they were carrying it on a new cart, and God had given them specific directions on how to carry the ark, and how to carry the presence, and all this, but they carried it on a new ark, and they thought they were doing a great thing, and the oxen stumbled, they fell in, you know, kind of hit a pothole or something, and, and the, the ark kind of started rocking back and forth, and just out of, out of instinct, Uriah reached up and just to steady the ark so that he wouldn't fall off the cart. And when he touched the Ark of the Covenant, which, which had the presence of God, the Bible says he dropped dead. Mm-hmm. Now, why would, why would that happen? Now, we know that's an Old Covenant, that's an Old Testament example, but here's the thing. Under the Old Covenant, and, and, and you know, I mean, even looking at it from a New Testament perspective, but under the Old Covenant, a, a, a person with sin in their life could not come into the presence of God. And see, so, so he had, you know, nobody had been born again at that time. So he, he, was, he had that old sin nature. He, he was alienated from God. He was separated from God. He reached up and he touched the presence and he dropped dead. That's powerful. But guess what? You have the presence of God living on the inside of you now. Amen. All throughout the Scripture, all throughout the Old Covenant, it was prophesied. That one day I'll come. God said, one day I will come and I will live on the inside of you. I'll no longer just rest upon you, but I will live on the inside of you. Man, and could you imagine the prophets? Could you imagine when Ezekiel and and Zechariah and and even even Moses and and Joshua, when they were prophesying these things, when when they said those things, they must have thought, what that must be like. To have God living on the inside and that He would never leave? You know, I'm convinced if, you know, when we get to heaven, I'm convinced that that Moses and Elijah and Ezekiel and Daniel and and Abraham, all these old covenant people are going to come running up to us saying, what was it like? What was it like? To have the presence of God on the, living on the inside of you. It must have been extraordinary. It must, you must not have had any problems because God was on the inside of you. How could you have a problem when God lives on the inside of you? And we would have to look at him and be like, well, it was pretty rough. You know, I struggled with, I struggled with this little thing and that little thing. And I kept tripping over this and I kept falling on this. And they would look at us and say, how? Why? Because you've got God on the inside of you. So I said all of that to say this. Something something miraculous happened at salvation. You were dead and God brought you to life. There's scriptures we could read. We could read. uh, uh, Let's look at a couple of these. Keep your place here in Romans. We'll come back to Romans. I'm not getting as far as I want to here, but we'll, that's all right. We'll get there. 
Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. <clears throat> Listen to this, and I'm going to read these real quick. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, it says this, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love where which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Hallelujah. So when you were dead in trespasses, God came along and brought you back to life. The moment you believed on Him, He brought you back to life. Come on. And He goes on to say this, He raised us up together and He made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The, the other extraordinary thing that happened when you got born again, not only did you get born again on the inside, but God now placed you in Christ. And everything that is Christ, everything that is Jesus' is, is ours. We became co-heirs. We became sons. Glory to God. And here, he said, not only did he raise, not only did he bring you back to life, but what did he do? He raised you and sat you in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are seated at the right hand of our Father right now as we speak. Well, hopefully that'll excite you one day. Amen. Amen. Colossians chapter one. Let's look at this. Colossians chapter one, just real quick. We won't spend a lot of time on this, but I'm just showing you what happened. Listen to this. Colossians 1.13. Paul wrote to the church here at Colossae. He said this. Colossians 1.13. He has, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and He's conveyed or transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. So He took us out of the kingdom of darkness and He transferred us or conveyed us or brought us. He picked us up out of darkness and He sat us in the kingdom of His Son. That's awesome. Look over at Colossians 2. You're right there in Colossians 1. Colossians 2. I'll read this from the Amplified just real quick. Colossians 2 verse 11 from the Amplified through 15. It says this. In Him, talking about in Christ, you also were circumcised with a circumcision not made with hands, but in a spiritual circumcision performed by Christ by stripping off the body of the flesh, the whole corrupt carnal nature with its passions and lusts. Did you get that? When you were born again, you were circumcised spiritually. And what he did, he cut off that old nature. He cut it completely off. Come on. Verse 12, he goes on to say this. Thus, you were circumcised when you were buried with Him in your baptism, in which you were also raised with Him to a new life through your faith in the working of God as displayed when He raised Him from the dead, when He raised Christ from the dead. And you, now listen, verse 13, and you who were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, your sensuality, your sinful carnal nature, God brought to life together with Christ, having freely forgiven us all of our transgressions. And then look at these next couple of verses. This is huge. Having canceled and blotted out and wiped away the handwriting of the note, the bond, with its legal decrees and demands, which was in force and stood against us, that was hostile to us, this note, now listen, this note with its regulations, decrees and demands, he set aside and cleared completely out of our way by nailing it to his cross. Hallelujah. So God disarmed the principalities and the powers that were, raged, that were ranged against us, and he made a bold display and a public example of them in triumphing over them in Christ and in His cross. So He disarmed and He defeated the enemy. The enemy has no arms and no feet. He's like Larry the Cucumber. Larry's a good guy, but, but he has no arms and no feet. Right? So He's disarmed, defeated, and He has no teeth. 
Amen. Peter tells us that that he's as a roaring lion. He's not even he's not he, he's not even that big and bad. He just roars and, and hopes somebody believes that he's that big and bad. Yeah. See, that's what happened to you. Amen. That's what happened at salvation. You were raised from death, from being spiritually dead. You were translated in, in, transferred into the kingdom of the Son of His love. You were brought back to life. And the old man, the old nature was swept away, was cut away, and you are a brand new creation. Now the question is, how do we walk that out? That's wonderful, and that's great, and that's great news to know, that's great knowledge to have. But how many of us are walking like a new creation, victorious over sin? And if we're not then let's figure out why we're not so that we can get back to living the way God designed us to live. Amen? So, according to that, because of that, we're going to look at Romans 6, 7, and 8 the next couple weeks. How many of y'all did your homework this week? Anybody do your homework? Anybody even remember what I asked you to do? I asked you to read Romans 6, 7, and 8, maybe from different translations, from different, uh, from, you know, from a couple different translations, so that, so that we could kind of get a grip or get an idea of what we're looking at. But we're going to go verse by verse through Romans 6, 7, and 8. We're going to do it pretty quick. I mean, man, you could do a year-long teaching on these three, these three chapters. I mean, there's so much in here. But let's just real quick, we're just going to start going through verse by verse here in Romans 6, 7, and 8. Because see, if you guys, listen, I promise you, if you get this revelation... If you understand what happened to you at salvation and that you do not have, when, when you got born again, your sin nature, that old sin nature was done away with. You no longer have a sin nature. So if you no longer have a sin nature, the question is, then why do I still sin? Well, I'm going to answer that. Okay? The short answer is this, because you want to. Because you can choose to sin. Just because you sin doesn't mean you have a sin nature. If you, when you have a sin nature, you just do it, you do it by nature. Right? You do it just because you have a sin nature. But when you got born again, your sin nature died. And you're, you're, now you have a new nature. You have a God nature. You no longer have a sin nature. You have a God nature now. Amen? And I want to show you that, and we're going to look at it, prove it by Scripture. Okay, Romans 6. Romans 6, verse 1 says this. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So Paul asked this question. He, He actually asked it like three or four times in the book of Romans. Because when you teach, when you teach grace, and when you teach the goodness of God and you teach what we're teaching today, it's natural that people will have this question and they will say, so what you're telling me is that I can sin and it doesn't matter. Because see, here's, here's something you need to know. When Jesus died on the cross, He died for your sins, past, present, and future. So the sins you have yet to commit... He's already forgiven. Hallelujah. Amen. So, Paul asked the question, so does that mean that we can just live in sin since our sins are already forgiven and it not matter? God, God, or Paul's answer was, God forbid. No. That is not what Paul is saying. Now, here's something else you need to know. Let me give you a little Bible lesson real quick. We've talked about this many times, but but understanding the importance of words and their true meaning. When you see the word sin in here in Romans chapter 6, well, throughout the book, I mean, even in the New Testament, but, but especially in Romans, when you see the word sin, you need to know what that word is and what it means, Okay. The word sin, S-I-N, when we think of the word sin, we think of certain actions. 
If I were to ask you, what does, what does this word sin, when he says, should we live in sin any longer? What does that word mean? You know, I may hear, you, and I won't ask that, but, but if I did, some of the responses may be adultery or drinking or murder or lying or cheating. You know, the, the, in other words, the individual acts of sin. But that's not what this word means. Okay? 40, 47 times... The word sin, S-I-N, is used in the book of Romans. Only one time in the book of Romans does it actually mean individual sins. And let me show you that. That's in Romans 3. Just turn over there. Just let me show you this real quick. Romans 3, verse 25. It says this, "...whom God set forth as a propitiation uh, by His blood..." through faith to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Now, in this verse, that word sins, S-I-N-S, is the Greek word, harmate, or, um, let me see how to say that. Uh, harmatima, I'm sorry, harmatima, I think is how you say that. That word harmatima is actually, actually means it's a verb. Okay, it's used as a verb in this in this sense here, and it means the sins that you commit, the actions that you commit in this verse. Forty five times, like 40, 45, 45 times, forty four, forty five times, it's used in the book of Romans. Other than in this one verse, it's used forty some other times, and every time it's used, it's a different word. This is the only time that this particular word is used in the book of Romans. Depicting individual sins. Every other time, it is the word harmateia. Okay? Harmateia. It's a different Greek word. Like, I brought my concordance with me. I've got, I keep this up here, but this is a strong concordance. It's got, I, I was looking at this earlier. You see how big this book is? And this was a small one. But here's, here's what this, uh, it says back here on the back. Handy care along size. This is a carry-along size. Okay, I'm thinking, oh yeah, that's a big book to carry along. But anyway, if I look up the word sin, okay? See, because this book, you can, you can think of any word that you want to look up. You can look it up and it'll give the reference. It's a concordance. It'll give the reference of where it's listed in the Bible. But it also gives, a, it gives the Strong's number. It gives a little number beside of it that, talk, that tells you what the Greek word is. Okay? So if I look up... When I turn here and I look up the word sin, S-I-N, and I come to Romans, and I come down here and I look at Romans, and I see there's 15 or 20 on this page and like 20 more on this page. Every time it's listed, it's the, it's the Strong's number 266. There's only one time, and this, this word was sins, plural, with the S. If I look that word up, that's used like three times, I think, in, in, the, in Romans. And only one time is in a different number. Two times it's 266, and one time it's number 265. 265 is harmate, or, excuse me, I don't, I can't pronounce English, much less Greek words. Harmatima, T, it's H-A-M-A-R-T-E-M-A, harmatima. And that is the, that is the verb of sin, the, the actual sins that you do. Every other time is number 266, which is harmateia. And that is used as a noun. And what that means is this. That's not the individual sins. That's saying that's, what, that's why you commit those individual sins. Okay? It's like, it's saying that it's, the, it's talking about the sin nature, not the sins themselves. Now see, if you didn't know that, We'll read scriptures here in a moment that says you're dead to sin. How can you, if you're dead to sin, how can you live in sin any longer? And every one of us would have to say, man, I sin all the time. I mean, you know, I miss the mark. I say things, I do things, I look at things, I go places, I, you know, whatever. I mean, whatever sin that you, that you commit. And, you know, we're thinking, I, I can't live that verse. How can I live that verse that, that says that I never sin now? But see, you have to understand, it's not talking about individual sins. It's talking about your sin nature. 
So every time we look here in the book of Romans, other than Romans 3, when we see the word sin, we have to understand it's talking about your sin nature, not the individual sins that you're committing. Okay? Now, Pastor, why was you went through all that for what reason? Just let me let me let's just look at this one verse here and see what a difference it makes. So he says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? Now, if that meant individual sins, we could say it this way. So what, what, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in adultery that grace may abound? Shall we continue in, in uh, carnality that sin may abound? Shall we continue in, you know, you name the sin that, sin may, that grace may abound? Or we could read it like this. So what shall we say then? Shall we continue in the old sin nature that grace may abound? See, it makes a big difference. So every time we see the word sin in the book of Romans, it's talking about the nature, not the individual sins. Okay? So, so Paul, asked, Paul asked the question, shall we continue to, to live in that old sin nature so that grace will abound? And then he answers it in verse 2, and he says, God forbid. Certainly not. And then he says this, how shall we who died... To sin, live any longer therein. So there again, let's let's use that that analogy. How many of you have died to sin where you never sin anymore? The action of sin. But see, when Paul says that you died to sin, he said this: your old sin nature is dead now. So you don't have to live, you don't have to have that as an excuse anymore. You can say no to sin because you no longer have a sin nature, you have a God nature. So shall we continue in in that old sin nature? Certainly not. Because you've died to that old sin nature. So how are are you going to live in it any longer? If you've died to something, then you can't live in it. Amen. Let's go on. Verse 3. And then he said this, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So, now we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we, when we had the baptismal service. You know, when we, were, when we got born again, we were baptized into the body of Christ. And our, that's, that's the moment that our old sin nature died. When, and it's the picture of going underwater. When you were baptized in water, all your sins went under the water. When you were resurrected, you came up. You were washed from all of that stuff. And you no longer have that sin nature. That sin nature stayed buried. We read in Colossians where Jesus took the handwriting of the ordinance and nailed it on the cross. What did He nail on the cross? He nailed your old sin nature on the cross. (laughs) Praise God. Amen. So let's go on. Verse 5. Now, I, I, I promise you, you can read this from different versions. You can read. You can do an in-depth study on this, and you can spend years on this. I mean, this is so powerful. So, listen to verse five. He says, "For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection." So, if we were buried with Christ, we've been resurrected with him too. Now, listen to verse six. This is so awesome. Verse 6 says this, knowing this. In other words, there's some things that you have to know. I think the King James may say, you know, uh, what does the King James say in that? Reckon this or? No, he says knowing this in the King James too. Um, but he says this. So here in the New, I'm just reading from the New King James, but the New King James says, knowing this, knowing what? That we, our old man was buried. We were, we were living in a new life now. We were raised to a new life. Knowing this, and he he tells us this, listen, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin, there that word is again, that that old sin nature might be done away with, 
that we should no longer be slaves of that sin nature. You have to know this. Your sin nature was bare, was, was nailed to the cross. Jesus, it was buried with Him. And when we rose again with Him in His resurrection, we no longer have that old sin nature. So, and, and because we no longer have that sin nature, that means we're no longer slaves to that sin nature. <clears throat> verse 7. Oh, verse 6. Let me read this. From uh, the mirror translation, I think I was reading just different translations, and I like the way it said this. The mirror says this in verse 6. This concludes that the vehicle that accommodated sin in us was scrapped and rendered entirely useless. Our slavery to sin has come to an end. I love that. The vehicle that accommodated sin in us has been scrapped and has been rendered completely useless. Amen. That's what happened at the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But he goes on to say in verse 7, For he who has died has been freed from sin. There again, you know, he's not talking about the individual acts of sin. He's talking about if you've died with Christ, then your sin nature is dead. Now let's keep going because, because he answers this question. We're going to get to this question about, well, then why do we still sin? And we're going to answer that. Hopefully we can get there this morning. Verse 8 says this. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe also that we'll rise with Him, that we'll live with Him. Knowing, verse 9, he says, knowing again, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Him. You know, um, if God still held our sins against us, that would mean that Jesus would have to come down and sacrifice Himself again every time you sinned. If His one sacrifice wasn't good enough to cover your past, present, and future sins, that would mean Jesus would have to come back and offer Himself as a sacrifice again and again and again and again. But the Bible tells us that once and for all, His sacrifice was accepted. One time He died, and that's the only time Jesus will ever die. And, and th this is what Paul was talking about here. He says, he said, he said, Jesus died one time and he will never taste death again. Why? Because that one sacrifice was enough for all of eternity for every person who would, who would choose to believe. Hallelujah. So verse nine, knowing this, that Christ having been raised from the dead, he will never die. die he'll die no more. Death no longer has dominion. Then verse 10, for the death that he died, he died to sin, that sin nature again, that death he died, he died to that sin nature once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. And then look at verse 11. Listen, this is so awesome. Likewise, you, say me. Likewise, every one of us, we have to reckon something. Anybody ever reckoned anything? That's an old King James language, but but it, I mean, but but it's still used in the accounting field to reckon. When you reckon something, what do you do? You you bring it to order. There's listen. When you reckon something, you balance it. There's only one way it can be. You can't say, well, it's reckoned, but yet there's this, this, and this. No, when it's reckoned, it comes to one point. If you reckon your account to zero, then it's not plus one or minus one, it's zero. Right? It's an accounting term just to mean to balance, to bring, to bring everything in order. So Paul said this in verse 11, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to your old sin nature. You see, you have to, you have, you have to know this. You have to do this. You have to say... I believe when Jesus died on the cross, my sin nature died with Him. I no longer have a sin nature. I reckon myself dead to my sin nature. <laughs> then he goes on to say this. 
He says, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we're dead to our sin nature, but we're alive to God in our God nature. Then look at verse 12. Now here, now here he says this. He, he answers this question. So why do we sin? If, if our old sin nature's dead, the first 12 verses here in Romans 6, if our old sin nature's dead, and, and it's true, if, if what Paul tells us is true, then why do we sin? Why do we give in to the flesh? Why do we do what we know is not right to do? Why do we give in to sin? <clears throat> Look at verse 12. Therefore, remember, anytime you see a therefore, you see what it's there for. You know, you look at the first 11 verses. Because of the first 11 verses, the rest of this verse can be true. Therefore, because of everything he just said. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Do not let the sin nature try to resurrect itself. Now notice he didn't say, he didn't say try not to. He didn't say I hope it doesn't happen or, you know, good luck with that. Paul said because of everything I just said, do not. It's a, it's a definite article. Do not let that sin nature try to raise his head back up and try to tell you that you have a sin nature. That you have to obey it. Because your sin nature is dead. Amen. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. Now listen to, verse, listen to the next couple of verses because this is important. Therefore, or verse, verse 13, I'm sorry. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. So in other words, Paul said this. Paul said that you can still present your, your body to sin just like, just like you could with, when you had that sin nature. You, you could still choose to give in to sin. Now he just said, said, therefore, do not, do not let that old sin nature rise, raise his head and try to make you become its slave again. He says, because there's something you have to know. He says, you can yield your members. You can yield yourself to sin. Just because the sin nature is gone doesn't mean you can't sin. You can still sin. But now, now for the Christian, it's a choice. We choose to yield our instruments to unrighteousness. It's no longer, it's no longer, you know, uh, we can't say, well, the devil made me do it. The church lady off Saturday Night Live. The devil made me do it. Satan made me do it. We can't say that. Why? Because, because now, listen, as a, as a born again man and woman of God, our new nature, the only way that we can sin is when we yield to sin. When we give in to it. We're not forced to do it. We're not required to do it. We can say no to it. And there's no power that the enemy has that can, that can make us live in sin. But let me show you how powerful it is when you yield yourself to sin. When you say yes to sin, notice what happens. Verse 13, do not present your bodies as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Okay? So Paul said this. He said, he said, don't, he said, it's your choice. You don't have to yield your members to unrighteousness. You can yield your members to righteousness. Just like we did before, and we just gave in to sin and we obeyed sin and, and fulfilled the lust thereof. Now we can say yes to God's righteousness and His holiness. Now, listen, these next couple of verses are so powerful. Listen to this. Paul asked this question again because of that. He says, so what then? 
Shall we sin because we do not, or because we are not under the law, but under grace? And he answers it again the same way. Certainly not. Shall we give in to that old sin nature because we have grace now and grace covers us and we know that our sins are forgiven past, present, and future? Should we just go ahead and sin because it doesn't matter? Paul answered again, certainly not. And then this, to me, this, this verse right here is probably one of the most powerful verses. And, and it's, uh, let me read this from the Passion Translation. I'll read it from, uh, from the New King James here, but we'll read it from the Passion too. Verse 16, he says this, Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey? Whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. So Paul asked this question. He says, he says, don't you know this? So this is something else that we should know. The, the, the uh, passion says it this way. Um, the passion says this. Don't you realize that grace frees you to choose your own master? Did you hear that? Grace frees you so that it's your choice. And then listen to this. I love the way the Passion puts this. But choose carefully. For you surrender yourself to become a servant. Did you hear that? When you surrender yourself, whether it's to sin or whether it's to God, when you surrender yourself, you become a servant. Bound to the one you choose to obey. When you yield yourself to sin, you choose to obey sin. See, a lot of people don't like this because now it puts all the responsibility back on you. You can't make excuses. It's no longer, oh, well, I'm just, you know, this old sin, this old dirty world, this old sin-filled world, I don't have a choice. Paul said, Paul said, listen, he said, don't you know that who you yield yourself to, you become their slave? And then he goes on to say this. Listen, I love this. He says, he says, but choose carefully for you surrender yourself to become a servant bound to the one you choose to obey. If you choose to love sin, it will become your master. You could put any, you could put any misstep in there. Now, now in, in there again, in the book of Romans, remember that word sin, He's talking about your sin nature, but 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 here you could also say that if you if you yield to I mean, you know, if you yield to alcohol, alcohol will become your master. If you yield to drugs, drugs will become your master. If you yield to adultery, pornography, that will become your master. Those are all sins we like to Big sins that we like to pick on, but how about this one? If you yield to overeating, overeating will become your master. How many times have you heard people say, man, I just can't lose weight? Well, why? Because something else has become your master. Come on now. I mean, if, if we're going to, if we're going to, if this is going to be real, it's got to be in every area. We can't pick and choose. This is not a buffet line. There I go again. <clears throat> but whatever, listen, if you choose to love that sin, it will become your master. And listen to this. And it will own you. And it will reward you with death. If you choose sin, it will reward you. It will pay you its wages. We read in Romans 6.23 here, just a couple of verses. It says, for the wages of sin... Is death. Death pay or sin pays you. And it pays you a pretty price. And it's called death. Come on. But if you choose to love and obey God, He will lead you into perfect righteousness. So this morning I just I want to tell you, 
Choose wisely who you yield yourself to. Because who you yield yourself to will become your master and it will own you. How many times, how many times have we heard, how many times has it happened to us that we've heard people say, it was just one drink. It was just one pill. It was just one time. I never meant it to go that long. I never meant it to go that far. I didn't know that it would happen. What happened? You yielded yourself. It became your master and now it owns you. And you're, you're reaping the benefits of it, which is death. But thank God we can change that. See, when you understand this, now you understand it doesn't have to be that way. You can say no to it. If you're right smack dab in the middle of it, if you're, if you're so deep you don't think there's a way out, all you have to do is say, no, I'm a child of the King. I'm no longer served sin. Sin is dead to me. I can walk away from it right now because greater is He that's in me than he that's in the world. If you think you have a sin nature, you can't do that. You're thinking, oh, it's too strong, it's too big, it's too, I've gone too far. But when you realize that that sin nature is dead and you no longer have to be its slave, you can, you can stand up right in the middle, of, you can stare that devil right in the face and say, your days are done. Amen. This will no longer be this way. Amen. Things are changing today. Amen. Hallelujah. That's good preaching. Verse 17, he goes on to say this. I want to try and get through this chapter real quick. But, but God be thanked that though... Now listen, here, here, he says the same thing that I just said. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you which were delib- uh, yet, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. In other words, you were slaves to sin, but when you believed God... You were delivered from that. And having been set free from sin, you now become the slaves of righteousness. Having been set free from your old sin nature, now you serve righteousness and not sin. He goes on, Paul says this, he says, Now I speak in human terms because of your weakness of your flesh. In other words, Paul said, you, you know, so that you can understand this, let me, let me put it in terms that, you know, that language that you can understand is what he said there. He says, for just as you presented your members as slaves to uncleanness and of lawlessness, uh, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. So he said, he said, just like when before Christ, you yielded your sins, you were a sinner and you were good at it. And just like you yielded yourself to sin, he says now that that sin nature is dead, yield yourself to God, yield yourself to righteousness, and be good at righteousness. Be good at holiness. Be good at saying no to sin. Hallelujah. Verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. In other words... You sinned and you didn't care. I mean, you know, righteousness meant nothing to you because because your master was sin. And then he, he asked this question. What fruit did you have then in the things which you are now ashamed? In other words... You know, back when you back back in the day when you sinned and you were good at it and you you were all in for sin, how many of you stand up now and say, Boy, I was proud of all the sin I did? I was proud I wrecked my marriage. I was proud that I that I, you know, went through this and I did that and I and you know, I'm proud of that. No, most of the time we we're all like, Man, I don't even want to talk about the things that I did. Yeah. I don't even want to I don't even discuss you know you know, I, I mean 'cause because I'm not proud of those things. I'm ashamed of those things. Paul said, when you, he said, when you were a slave to sin, you were ashamed of the things you did. But when you become a slave to righteousness and holiness, then you can, you can testify of how good God's been and where He's brought you out of. Amen. Hallelujah. Verse 22, and we'll, we'll finish up here. But now, now listen to this. But now, having been set free from sin, hallelujah, having been set free from that sin nature, and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness, and the end of that is everlasting life. And then he says this in verse 23, 
For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this morning I would just say, I would say to you men and women of God, choose wisely who you yield yourself to. Because who you yield yourself to will be your master. And your master will pay you the wages that are due. If your master sin, then the wages are going to be payable in death. If you yield yourself to righteousness, then holiness is going to be the result. Everlasting life is going to be the result that you have when you yield yourself to God. So see, you, have, you no longer have a sin nature, but you can still yield yourself to sin. But it's your choice. It takes, away, it takes away the excuse to say, oh, well, I had no choice. I'm just, you know, uh, you know, the devil made me do it. No. You yielded because you wanted to. Amen. And, and there's no other reason. Because your sin nature is dead. You no longer have a sin nature. You have a God nature about you. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost? And if your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, you think He's going to allow a sin nature to remain in you? God and sin can't remain in the same body. Come on. So your sin nature... Now now listen, we'll go into verse chapter 7. Chapter 7... Uh, chapter 7 is the, is the chapter so many people use to say... Uh, to say that, that they still have a sin nature because that's where Paul talks about. He says, the things I want to do, I can't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. You know, we're going to look at that next week, okay? And we're going to explain to you what Paul was talking about. And he wasn't talking about that he, has, that he just has to yield to sin and there's nothing he can do about it. That's not what he was saying. And we'll, when you read this in context, you'll see the whole context here and you'll see what that Paul is the, because if that was true, everything he said in chapter six right here was a lie. It wouldn't be true. But he set up chapter seven by saying everything he did in chapter six. You understand? It didn't. He didn't. He didn't divide it in chapters and verses. That was done for our benefit, right? This is one continuous thought that he that he shared here. So all of this is one continuous continuous thought. Six, seven, and eight is one thought that Paul shared. So the part I want you to see today and the part I want you to, to get a revelation of and pray and ask God, ask God to give you this revelation that you would see this, is that, that you, you are, your sin nature is dead. You do not have to be a slave to sin. You have the power to stand up and say, that's not who I am. That is not. I love the, uh, I think I read this last week in the message because I read part of that last week, but but it says that, that uh, sin is no longer your mother tongue. Yeah. You know, in other words, you don't talk sin anymore. Mm-hmm. You don't answer the door to sin. You don't, you don't come knocking. When somebody says, hey, sinner, you don't turn around and say, yeah. Right. See, because that's not who you are anymore. Amen. You're a new creation in Christ. Right. You've been born again. You're walking in the newness of life. Come on, your old man was buried and you've become a new man when you were resurrected with Christ and now you're seated in heavenly places. In Christ, you're seated in heavenly places right now. And if if your life is not mirroring that, if you say, well, Pastor, you don't know know what's going on in my life, then all, then all all I can say is this. You just need to stand up and take your place. Stop yielding yourselves as members to unrighteousness and yield yourself to God. Stand up and say, that's not who I am. This is who I am. I am in Christ. I'm a new creation. I no longer am a slave to sin. I can say no to you and I have the power within me. What is that power? It's grace. Remember, grace is the power of God enabling you to do what you can't do. You have grace enabling you to say no to sin. Grace doesn't allow you to live any way you want to live and have a license to sin. Grace enables you to say no to sin. Hallelujah.
Glory to God. All right, well, let me pray for you. We're going to unhook right there. Now, this week, here's what I do want you to do. I'll, I'll give you the same homework this week. Read, read Romans 6, 7, and 8. Read it in different translations. Read it in different, different versions, you know, and just um, get, a, get, a, get it in your mind. Read these chapters, you know, um, multiple times this week and, and just get this in your heart so that when we talk about it, you'll, you'll have an understanding. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you things about it. Study it. Meditate on it. Amen? You don't have to wait for me to tell you what it means. Amen? The Holy Spirit's your teacher. The Holy Spirit's the one that can reveal to you, you know. And, and thank God for pastors and teachers and people that help us, but, but you shouldn't rely on me just to give you all the meat. Amen? You go home and get it yourself. Amen. I, I mean, I'm, I'm glad for good meals on Sunday, but how many of you know I like good meals on Tuesday too? Amen. I like good meals, you know, nighttime snacks. I like morning breakfast meals. I like, I mean, man, we talk about food all day. I'm hungry. Amen. <laughs> so you don't have to just wait till you come to church to, to eat. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. Um, Father, my prayer, my prayer is that, that each one hearing this message, Father, that we would get this revelation, that we would realize that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we have a new nature, and that new nature is Christ. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us. We're no longer slaves to sin. But we yield ourselves to the Holy Ghost. We yield ourselves to righteousness. And because of that, we, we get rewarded with everlasting life. So I thank you for that, Father. I pray for those today, Lord, that, that may be stuck in, a, in, a, in the, the mire of sin. Lord, I pray today that, that, that this revelation will be so strong that they, will, that they will be able to stand up and say, I will no longer be a slave to that. I am coming out of that, and I'm yielding myself to God. May we hear testimonies this week, Father, of, of how people broke addictions and broke out of cycles and, and just, Father, how they were set free because they realized who they were in Christ. I thank You for that. Thank You for that, Father. With every head bowed, if, if there's somebody here, and you might say, Pastor, I'm not a Christian. I don't know... I don't know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. Well, listen, that's the first thing we're talking about. That's the most important thing we're talking about. Because that's when you get a relationship with Jesus, that's when your spirit becomes recreated. That's when you become a new person. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, today would be the perfect day for you to receive Him. So if there's anybody here that, that would say, Pastor, I want to receive Jesus. I've never been born again. I want to receive Him as my Savior. Anybody at all? I don't see any hands, so I'm going to assume we're all born again. We're all Christians. Y'all can look at me and raise your head. Listen, thank you for listening today. I, I know I threw a lot on you, and I gave you a lot of Scripture here. But, but listen, I, I believe you can handle it. I believe you guys, I believe you guys are the cream of the crop. I believe, I believe that, that you guys are rising above just the, the, the milk of the Word, and, and you're, you're coming on up to receiving the meat. Amen? And listen, this is meat. You know, if you get this revelation, you'll be, you'll be far and above many, many Christians today because most people ha don't have this revelation. It's in the Word. It's not a special revelation that I've got or anything. It's, it's Scripture. But just many people just overlook it because they're looking for an excuse. Don't, don't look for an excuse. Yield yourself to God. Amen. Amen. And as you do that, you'll be blessed. Amen. Uh, remember tonight at 5, we have the Connections meeting. Uh, we invite anybody to come, and, and we have a great time with that, so we encourage you to come out tonight at 5 here at the church. Monday, men's meeting. Tuesday, women's meeting. Wednesday, we have the spaghetti dinner and uh, the starting our family nights. And, uh, and Friday, the crochet. Yeah, and if, you, and if you want to sign up for Friday night to learn how to crochet, make sure you sign up on the information desk, and we'll get that to Emily. I think uh, Madeline was sick this morning, so they couldn't make it, so... Uh, so just sign up on the information desk and we'll get that to her and, uh, and then praise God. So prayer on Saturday night. We got something almost every night of the week. 
So praise God. So God bless you guys. You're dismissed. We love you. We'll see you later on this week. Whew.